All right, we are in Hebrews chapter 7. No worship tonight. We're having uh, still some issues with our computer that does that, but uh, everything else seems to be working. We're going to be over in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, we're over in verse 1. Back to verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now we're going back over these verses to pick up some things that we, we didn't uh, pick up on here yet. As we read this first verse, I want you to see this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. We see that Melchizedek holds two offices. He is the king of Salem and he is the high priest of God. He is sent on a mission. That mission does not touch one of his offices. The mission that he is sent on is only a mission about the high priest. There is not a single thing that he is sent to do that involves being a king. So he is sent on a mission, not regarding his kingship, but regarding his priesthood. So I want to reword this verse since the the author is looking at it from this point of view. He's looking at the high priest aspect of what he did. So I'm rewording this just a little bit to to change the focus of it for you. It can read like this, or be understood this way. For this Melchizedek, though he was king of Salem, yet as priest of the Most High God, took the assignment and met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now I'm taking a few liberties there, I understand. But... There was absolutely nothing he did as king. Everything he did was his high priest. So we understand that verse this way. Then as priests of God, he, he did nothing on his mission as king. Everything was as priest. And I put in your outline this. As a priest of God, regardless of our position in life, we are here to do as he asks us and to serve as he requests. He is the priest of the Most High God. He may be the king of Salem. But he is the priest of the Most High God. And God sends him on a mission as the priest of the Most High God. He could be looking at this and said, this is, this is not something a king ought to be doing. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, this doesn't honor or respect my king of Salem. The high priest had an assignment from God and he went out there and he did it. Regardless of his, uh, and I put this in this, this way, regardless of our position in life, we are here to do as he asks us and to serve as he requests. One main thing that can hinder us from our role as priest is, and this is key for us to get because we are called to two offices just as Melchizedek was. We are called to be kings and priests. One main thing that can hinder us from our role as priests is not being treated as a king. There are a lot of Christians who the way they are treated affects the way they serve. Now Melchizedek came out not as king, but as high priest of God. 
Now put these things in there for your for your for you to fill in. Even though it is better, even though being a king, how many know being a king is better than a high priest? <laughs> there, it's nice. It's nice to be king. What's that uh, Disney line? I just can't wait to be king. <laughs> yeah, we just we we all like the king role. <clears throat> but as as high priest, as we go out as high priest, as we begin to minister and do things for God, we're going to see some things that are going to affect our attitude because of the way that we are treated. And Melchizedek didn't let this stop him. Jesus didn't let it stop him. And we have to make sure that we don't let it stop stop us. First off, a high priest, and we're... we're Let's take a look at the high priest as Jesus because we have a lot more detail on his life than we do on, on others. He was, he was talked about, wasn't he? They had meetings about Jesus. After one of his healing meetings, they uh, came on back and said, let's, let's talk about Jesus. And they would have meetings. How can we kill him? How can we get rid of him? How can we discredit him? How can we do? And they would have meetings about him. And understand this, the more that you operate as a high priest, the more that you operate and do the priestly ministry that God has for you, people will talk about you. Sometimes people will talk about you and it'll be nice. (laughs) Most of the time it won't. How many times have you heard people have discussions about other folks when they're not present? It's generally not nice. It's generally not pleasant. These things will go on. Here's the here's the fun part. Sometimes you will find out about it. <laughs> Have you ever been at work and you found out that everybody was sitting around talking about you and they said some things about you? And uh, what, they said that? <laughs> and that can get us a little bit upset, can it? That can kind of take away our drive for doing the thing that we wanted to do. Well, we make sure, got to make sure we stay away from that. We, we sometimes want to act as high priest but also want to be treated as king. And Jesus had to come in and act as, as our priest, but he was not treated as king. One of the things that they did, as we said, he was talked about. Not talked about favorably, always talked about behind his back. These kind of things are they're not fun. He was betrayed. He was betrayed. His, not just Judas, but other people betrayed him. Other people walked away from him. His own family except for his mom and his dad, his own, his own family betrayed him. They, they didn't see him as, as a Messiah. They didn't see him as king. They didn't see him as priest. They didn't see him as anything. They didn't even see him as a rabbi. It wasn't until after that his family began to come around. I'm sure that didn't feel too good. There are some people that are close to you that when they're not on your side, it can hurt a lot more. And he, he certainly had had that go on. Here's another thing as, as um, high priest, acting as high priest, he was not treated as king. He was beaten. Jesus was beaten. He was bloody. He was barely recognizable. He was beaten. Next one, he was discredited. How many times did they come up? He cast out the devil by the devil. They discredited him. They tried to make it seem like what he was doing wasn't all that good. They, they put down his healing. 
Why is he healing on the Sabbath? How can this be of God if he's healing on the Sabbath? And they always questioned what it was. They were trying to discredit him. They brought in people to testify against him, to discredit him, to bring false witness to discredit him. These are the things that will, will go on. The last one I put on there was he was dishonored. He was dishonored. They had the Son of God come. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the vineyard? And the vineyard, he put it in the hands of some people. And when he went to uh, collect, he sent some, some servants out and they, they beat them. Some they beat, some they killed. And he said, "Ah, oh, no, I'll send my son. And they saw the son coming. They said, this is the heir. Let's kill him and the vineyard will be ours. I don't know what they're thinking that that would, that would happen. But they dishonored him. They didn't give him the honor that, was, that certainly was due. And as you operate in the area of priest for God, as you become a priest for God, as you operate in that role, the enemy comes along and he says, you ought to be treated as king. Some of the temptations of Jesus was, I'll treat you as king. I'll treat you as the king that you are. Just forego this priest ministry part. Bow down and worship me. It's hard for us to stay in the priest ministry when we're not treated as kings. Now you can put yourself in this this position. You can be uh, talked. Just know you're going to be talked about. And and sometimes and you go through all kinds of reactions with this. You're going to go through reactions of where, all right, well I just won't care about people. <laughs> They're going to talk about me that way. I just won't care. And well, that's not a real good reaction. And and that won't help you out. You can't be. You can't go that way. People will. You, you'll say, well, all right, well, fine. I just I, I, I'll use that as a reason for why I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Well, the people won't. The people aren't. And Jesus didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't go that way. But I think one of the most discouraging things we can have in this, this area of being a priest is when people start to talk about you. Now think back to the last time that somebody was talking about you and what you did in ministry. And, and you gave it your all. You put everything into it and you thought it, you actually came out of there thinking it was pretty good. That, uh, that people got ministered to. You know, Phyllis can come off stage saying, boy, that was some good worship. And then here's some people talking about it. Boy, worship was too long today. Oh, I was barely hanging in there. <laughs> and you see, that can just, that can just knock somebody, somebody out. Ethel could get up there and just knock one out of the park. And people were just really blessed and then walk on by and, and hear that some people were saying, oh, I can't believe that Ethel said that. And, you know, that's, they're going to, it's amazing what people will say. And uh, I was following along in, in those scriptures and then Daryl messed me up. I was in the, <laughs> you know, there's nothing more discouraging than people talking about what it is that you're doing and not talking about it in a very favorable way. So the things we have to make sure of is that first off, don't talk about other people's priestly ministry in an unfavorable way. Talk about it to them if you, if you want to. If you have something to say about it, then go ahead and talk to the to them about it. If if you don't, then you know just you're you're better off you're better off not. But it doesn't mean that nobody can be corrected. It's uh, we all can be corrected, 
there are some things that that we we have to go go on about and to um, and to fix. Don't tune it out. Don't uh, don't get mad at the thing because here's the the enemy's going to come along. You should be treated as a king. You should be treated better. People shouldn't be treating you this way. You're here to be the priest of God. Now here's the thing about Kizedek. He is the king of Salem. What is Abraham king of? Absolutely nothing. Here's the thing, folks. Abraham is going to be the father of many kings. But he is not a king himself. He is going to be the father of many priests. But he is not a priest himself. But Melchizedek is both king and priest. So here's this guy. He's king and priest. He's pretty high up. People know about Melchizedek. He is not an unknown. And God comes to him because he's on an assignment. He was sent out with a purpose to do with, to do with, <laughs> a purpose to deal with, with Abraham. And he was sent out to do that. Now he could be sent back there and says, I'm the king. Why are you sending me out to do this sort of stuff? Who is Abraham? He doesn't do that. If God calls us to do something, then we have to be willing to get out there and do it. Even if people talk about it, even if people (laughs) don't necessarily like what it is that we were doing. One of the the mantras we have around here is we serve God by serving people. Don't ever get lost in the fact that you serve people. You serve God by serving people. If you stop serving people, you stop serving God. He was betrayed. I'm sure every single one of us can talk about times that we've been betrayed. And I've been betrayed by some big ones. And it never feels good. There's not a single time that you've been betrayed that is going to feel good. It it, it always seems to have an effect upon you. As much as you want to say, no, it's not going to affect me, it does have an effect on you. But we're still called to be priests. We're still called to be kings. And we still got to keep on going out there. I've had people that, um, you know, that we were tight. We were doing things. And this is not in this church, other, other churches I was at. <clears throat> and we conquered many a problem. We conquered many a, a situation. We took on some things and, and helped each other out and, and got the thing done. And even though people spoke badly about us, I remember, I think I've shared this with on a handful of occasions, not many times. But one of the things we had to do was remove an organ player who had been there for something like 20 years. We had to remove them because they were not listening. Now, the person that I was in partnership with was the pastor's son and the worship leader. And he says, he comes to me with this problem. He says, they've been here for 20 years. These people respect this person. But we're in practice, and I say we're doing this, and he says, I'm not doing it. And we go there and worship on Sunday. And if he doesn't want to do it, he just stops playing. I mean, we're talking some serious rebellion. <laughs> and, and, you know, what do you do about that? And so um, so we got together and says, all right, this is what we're going to have to do. And we came up with a strategy to remove them from that position. We knew no matter what we're going to do, anybody who's been in ministry for 20 years at the same church, you take them out. 
I mean, we tried it. We sat him down, talked to him about it, just refused. Absolutely refused. Not only did he sit him down, he and I both went in there and sat down and talked with him about it. We followed the, the biblical example. We won, all right, we brought in some more. Still, no movement on it. And so he eventually got to that place, and it wasn't being received well. And after he was removed, he went around and told everybody in church how bad we were. And um, we, we looked at each other. He said, well, we could tell them what happened. And I said, you know, that's not right. We're not here to put other people down and tear people apart. Just let him say what he's going to say. And, um, you know, people know how we've served. People know what we've done. If they, if they wouldn't believe that, then let them believe it. And so we didn't get up and put him down, tear him down in any way, just let it go on. And we, uh, we support each other. People came to us and said, what happened with that? We would just let them know, look, we can't tell you all the details of it. We tried every other way to solve this thing. This is where we had to go. And just, just left it at that. Then we had another situation with the church secretary, who again had been serving in the church for a long time. And was actually making decisions for the church that she wasn't allowed to be making. And some of the people who were making decisions made decisions and she would change them. So he and I sat down and said, how are we going to do this? <laughs> and so we, we set it up. We, we said, we know that she'll change this decision, but let's let the, all the leaders in the church see this. So all the leaders in the church knew what the decision was and they saw her change it. Completely alter it. And uh, it's just, it was, I, I can't tell you all the details on it, but it was bad. And they all saw it and I said, this can't be going on. I said, this has been going on for a lot of years. We just got wind of it now. We had to remove her. Guess what she did? <laughs> so we had to take care of that. Now this person, I say all that for, you, for this, this person that uh, we, I was so tied, to, tied into when I was getting ready to leave the church. I had put in my resignation. I told him I'm, I'm leaving. And another pastor was coming in to take over for the senior pastor. And he had told me his plans for the pastor's son. That he, because the pastor's son had a divorce. And he didn't believe in divorce. He says, well, I said, what are you going to do when you take over the church? With, and I mentioned his name. And he says, well, I'll, re- I'll remove him. So I said, have you told the pastor about this? And he said, no. So now I was stuck in a position. I'm already leaving. Do I tell the pastor that his son, that he was grooming for ministry, was going to be removed from all positions in the church as soon as this guy took over? In fact, I was so shocked at it. I said, would you repeat with that that you're going to do? He said, I will remove so-and-so. He just said it straight up. So I, uh, I hemmed and hauled about it for a while, and I finally said, I need, I need to tell him. So I walked into the pastor's office, sat him down, and said, I just need to let you know, this is the plans. I said, you do with it what you want to, but I just know that that's not, that's not what you desire. So he went on off, and he talked to the people. They sat down, this new pastor coming in. He denied it. Now that... <laughs> That's not the purpose for this whole thing. The purpose was the person I defended, the person I went to bat for, was the same person that we had rubbed elbows with and taken on many problems in the church. Huge! I, I could tell you some of the problems. We had a, 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 
a deacon who was caught in adultery. And I caught him. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in the walking in the act of anything. I just I, I, I caught him in the in a, in a spot, and he was uh, his lips were on another person's lips, and they surely were not supposed to be there. <laughs> Out there kissing in one of the rooms in the church, and um, I walked in on it, and I said, "You know, this isn't supposed to be happening." And so. <laughs> What made it really fun was the person that he was kissing was a, somebody in my youth group. Yeah, so that was... And so since it was somebody in my youth group, the church higher-ups decided that it was my problem to handle. And he came along and, and helped me handle it. So we had gone through a lot of these problems and helped out. And I, I surely felt like I can't just abandon him and, and leave him. And so um, I did this. Well, I got surrounded in the hallway in church by the pastor, by his son, by this new incoming church and several other leaders in the church, you said such and such. And I says, well, yeah, because that's what you said. And the new pastor coming in looked at me and says, I never said it. I said, I made you repeat it. He said, I never said it. And the problem was that the, um, the son of the pastor decided to believe him over me, turned against me, and made my last weeks at that church the most unbearable, unpleasant, and so unenjoyable. I came very close to dropping out of ministry completely and never wanted to get back into it. In fact, I dropped out for an entire year and didn't want anything to do with ministry and went back to Tulsa. I said, if, anybody, if I'm going to get a vision of getting back, that's the only place I know of to get it. To this day, I've never talked to him about it, but here's the thing. That incoming pastor burned the, the, the pastor's son in much the same way he did me. And I never heard from that pastor, pastor's son again. I never heard from him when it happened that he says, hey, this happened to me too. He never came to me. In fact, one time his wife came by to interview me for something for the, a book she was doing. And I asked her, I says, well, he, she was the one who told me the whole story of how this pastor had burned him the same way that he had burned me. And I said, and then how come he never came and said, I know he's been in the area. Why did he never come by and say anything? He never did. Still hasn't to this day. And yet we were close. Did a lot of things in ministry. That's only one case. I can tell you more. I can tell you more. People that have betrayed, people that have turned their back on you. Jesus can tell you even more than that. There's more that's in the Word of God about it. But you see, they're not a reason to stop being high priest or, or priest. We serve our high priest, high priest. Just because you got betrayed doesn't mean that you have an excuse to get out. It's, it's not, not something that you can do. I've seen it in much smaller degrees. I've had people, and I've tried to cultivate some things in them, met with them on a regular basis. I had some people that I would drive down to where they worked, meet them for lunch, pick them up at their work, meet them for lunch, pick them, take them back over to their work, had all these interactions with them, and they would talk to other people about negative things they saw in the church and never once mentioned it 
to me. <laughs> and you will have this, and I could keep on telling you stories. There's there's some of these things that are going on here and even this place. And I don't go sit around and go tell you all the stories about it, but I'll tell you what, it can affect you. It can hinder you. People will talk about you. People will betray you. It's all right. They betrayed Jesus too. Doesn't mean that you're necessarily anything bad. If there's something you need to change on it, then you change it. But you just keep going on. I have never been beaten for the gospel. I was beaten in high school. Got beat up a few times. Some of them didn't like that I was a Christian. But um, not for taking the gospel out. Paul was. Jesus was. Other people were. I never was. I can't relate to that. Thank God. But some people have been. And if we ever get to the place where we're beaten for the gospel, that's not a reason to quit being priest. We got people that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. Paul, how many times was he beaten? How many times did he go through punishments? And yet he just kept on going. People will try and discredit you. This is They're being fired up by the enemy. They will try and discredit you. You make sure that there's no, no substance to it. Make sure that you don't follow off in a way that there can be substance to being discredited. You stay with it. Jesus was dishonored. Don't you ever demand that you be honored. Don't ever demand it. When people do, that's that's all great. That's all good. But just understand, there's going to be these negative sides of ministry. These things will happen. Don't let them take you by surprise. I've known these things will happen still when they happen. I mean, still, they still throw you. They'll still, uh, they'll still send you for a little bit of a loop. That's all right. You, you keep on going. There's a... Uh, there are discouragements that will come. But you just keep on keep on going with it. It's a it was amazing to me. There is a and I will never don't ever come up and ask me, I will never share this with anyone. Not a single soul will I ever share this with. I cannot. Because there are not words that I could put this into. It's it's one of the few things I do that's very intuitive as well as words. But there are some words that when people in church begin to use them and begin to, and they're not bad words. They're not unflattering words. They're not words that put anybody down. But there are certain words that when people begin to use them, I, there's a little switch that goes off on the inside of me and says, ah, we won't be seeing them much longer. And every time that you, if you heard these words, you would think, man, that is so nice of them to say. And other people will say the same words, but there's something missing from it. And here's the thing that was really odd. There was someone who was uh, very clo- not in the church, very close to me. And they began to use these words. And I say words, it's not just certain words. It's, it's a whole phrase. It's a, it's a thing that they would say. And I, I heard them say it. And the first thing down inside of me says, man, if I didn't know better, that's exactly what people say before they walk out. I mean, they're nice words. There's nothing bad about the words at all. And I just said this. That's the same thing people say before. And I, and I was just confused. I said, this is what people say that are going to church before they walk out and they leave. You don't see them anymore. Why is this person using? I couldn't figure it out. I said, maybe I'm wrong 
And those words don't actually indicate that. It had it was 100% accurate up until that point. 100% accurate up until that point. And so that happened with this one. Not in the church. Not somebody in the church. Somebody outside the church. Very close to them. And we, I still, I can still remember being in the shop, on the phone, talking with this person. And here come the words. And I hung up the phone. I says, "This doesn't make sense." This doesn't make sense. It wasn't more than a month later, all contact with that person was gone. Never heard from them again. Now, again, I'm not telling you what the words are because other people have used similar words. But there's something missing from it. And you know, the enemy loves to get people that are close to you to walk out of your life. I think it is fascinating when I can find somebody that I've known for many, many... Now, some of you folks have been around here for a long time, 20, 25 years, and things like that. And I'll tell you what I so enjoy, enjoy that we've had that long time of relationship. But most times it isn't that way. I, t- I talk to people and they have friends from 30 years, 40 years, things like that. I've had more people, and this, this comes, uh, I think, as being a pastor. But when people walk out of your life as a pastor, it is generally because they are mad at somebody in the church they are mad at something that the church did or they're mad at you. That's generally what it is. And if they walk out for any of those reasons, they will never talk to you again. And you have people that you spent five years, six years, seven years, ten years building a relationship. All of a sudden, in one day, it is gone. Now, you may be able to count on one hand how many times that's happened to you. I need to take off my shoes. And get extra paper because the numbers are high. I can't even count really that high. It's, a, it's amazing the number of people that, uh, that that would go on. I mean, these are people that you sow a whole lot into. All kinds of stuff that, you, that you've done. And then just, they just walk. And when they walk out, you never see them again. I had one guy, I mean, I knew him from well before the church was, was here. And uh, instrumental, I got him a job that paid him more money than he had ever made before. He met his wife at this job. I married them. Spent a lot of time helping them out in, in ministry, growing them up. I mean, from when he was young. He was a teenager when I first met him. And, and knew him until he was married and had kids. And now he won't even talk to me. Because he got involved with the church. They told him that tongue was wrong. Actually, he just stayed involved in the church that I was at. And then the pastor who took over told him the tongues was wrong and Brother Hagin was wrong and faith is wrong and all that. And so the wall just came up between he and I and there was no ministry anymore from, from that point on. It's a, it's a, this, these are the things that will happen. What I'm trying to get you to understand here is it's not unique to you. And it will happen again. As Melchizedek did what God said and came out. And you're going to, when we get on with this, this uh, scripture, you're going to see something really interesting about this. He comes out and he does what God says, despite the fact that he is king, but he's not being treated as a king and he's not on a kingly mission. And he does what God says as priest. And his role, what is, good, what is it that God said to do? I want you to go out and I want you to bless Abraham who's coming back from a battle. And I want you to bring the bread and the wine. 
and he did it. He didn't look at it as too little. I'll put in your outline here for you. What mistreatment has discouraged you the most? Of those five things that I wrote down there, what are those five things? What is the thing that you were mistreated on that discouraged you the most? Verse 4. Now consider how great this man was. What man? Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Now when we think of great people in the Old Testament, how many of us think Abraham? First and foremost, Old Testament, we think Abraham. Greatest. And yet here in this verse of Scripture, Melchizedek is greatest. Melchizedek is greater. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. So as much as you want to say Abraham was a great man, great man of faith, all these things came because of Abraham, Abraham said, man, this is a great guy right here. (laughs) This guy, he's great. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So here's what he's getting at. Abraham, great man. Melchizedek was seen as greater because Abraham brought the tithes to him. Abraham saw him come. The first thing that happened, Melchizedek comes out and blesses him. And Abraham looks upon him and says, this is a great man. And I need to take the tithe and give it to him, which means tithes predated the law. And we know that anyway. But he came and he gave his tithe to Melchizedek. And then he goes on and he says, And Levi, the sons of Levi who received the priesthood, have a command to receive tithes from the people. So the tithes were collected by the priest in the Old Testament, the sons of Levi. But here Melchizedek is, and he's going to go on to make the point that technically Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. Because Levi was in the loins of Abraham. Now some of you may say that's stretching it, but... Your viewpoint of it stretching it didn't make scripture. This one did. <laughs> so how great was Melchizedek? Well, you can see it by what Abraham, uh, what, what Abraham, the great father, did. He brought his tithes. He was given the, the tenth of the tithe to Abraham. Thereby, tithing acknowledges the greatness of the one given to. So Abraham is acknowledging the greatness of Melchizedek by taking the tithe of the spoils and giving it to him. Now, this is my outline. It's not in yours. I ran out of room. What would not tithing indicate? If tithing indicates the greatness of the one to whom the tithe is brought, what does not tithing indicate? If by bringing the tithe, I acknowledge, we bring the tithes before God, we bring the tithes before God, I'm acknowledging the greatness of God. When I keep the tithes, I'm acknowledging the greatness of me. I am greater than God. Now, have you ever looked at tithing from that standpoint? That is a designation of who's greater. And if I keep the tithe, I'm saying I'm greater than God. And if I bring the tithe, I'm saying God is greater. Ooh, that's a different perspective on it, isn't it? 
But this is what the author of Hebrews is telling us here, is that the tithe of Abraham was a designation of who was greater. So even the Levites, through Abraham, tied to one greater than themselves. So I put this in your outline for you. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, the Levitical priesthood, and the law. Now look at this, verse 7. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. The lesser is blessed by the better. He was called to come out and to bless Abraham, and Abraham gave him the tithes, which establishes the position Melchizedek is the greater, Abraham is the lesser. Abraham receives the blessing, Melchizedek received the tithe. doesn't say he received the blessing, it said he received the tithe. I put in um, the reference here, this is the. Uh, we didn't get to, we'll get to it here in a minute. Let's re- read verse eight. <laughs> here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Now that may not be real, real clear. Here, mortal men receive tithes. The mortal men refers to the Le- Levi priest, because that's the mortal man part. This this section of Hebrews has been trying to show that Melchizedek had no father, no mother, no genealogy. He just showed up and never seemed to die. So we're not trying to emphasize his mortality. So therefore, he's not talking about Melchizedek there. He's talking about here mortal men, the Levites, receive tithes, but there he receives them. There as in the Old Testament. Sometimes we look at that and we say, well, there in heaven, God receives them. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Melchizedek. But there... He, or Melchizedek, receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. So we're looking at Melchizedek as having an ever-living, everlasting priesthood that Jesus is the one who's going to be picking this up, and he continues it on. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, you might be saying that's stretching it, but again, it made scripture. So apparently, it's a valid argument. So the greater received it, giving the blessing. Now look at the blessing. Then Melchizedek, this is Genesis 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. He, Abraham, gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. So here's the blessing. And it's really, it's, it's pretty much just a, a declaration of what is and what has been done. Now, when God came over and he made a blessing on Abraham, he gave a prediction. You will be. Blessed will you be. You will be the father of many nations. Kings will come from your body. These are the things. Here, there, were, there was prediction in that. In Melchizedek, there's no prediction. He's just declaring. How is that a blessing? It's just a a declaration of what is. Look at what he says. And he blessed him and said, this is in quotes, so this is what he said. 
This is not, we're not wondering about it. We're not inserting words into it. This is what Melchizedek said. Apparently that was passed on. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So how is this a blessing? How How is this... Uh, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Melchizedek come and say this over you? Or would you rather have God say, Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's a prediction. I'm going to make your descendants as the sand. I'm going to make your descendants as the stars. How many? I like that blessing. I like that. Oh, that's, that's talking about increase. That's talking about things being, being blessed, being, uh, coming out. I'm going to, I'm going to hear, hear that one. I'm going to make your bank accounts multiply. I'm going to make your dollars like the sand of the, the seashore. That's what we want, right? But this was an important blessing. It's one that made the Bible. It's one that Hebrews was making this foundation about. And that he was sent from his place in the city where he was king to going out here and to meet Abraham. Abraham doesn't come to him. The king is sent to Abraham who is neither king nor priest. Now, if you're Melchizedek and you're the king and the high priest and God says, go meet Abraham. Abraham? <laughs> of course, then he was just Abram. We know him as Abraham. Tell him to come on up here and I'll give him whatever message you want. See, that's not what we're supposed to do. If God says go, we don't look at our position and say, no, we're not going to do it. Now, we mentioned this, hinted at it at least before, but this blessing is is kind of a, it's, it's a blessing. How do we put it before? We talked to, most of us look at getting blessed before we go into battle. Not blessed after we come from the battle. We would look at the victory and the spoils of the battle as being the blessing. But that's not how this is looked at. We're looking at blessings that are a little different than what uh, that we're looking at. I put this in your outline. I'm jumping ahead here a little bit. But there are blessings of position and blessings of acquisition. There are blessings that come to you because of your position. Because of your position as this, as a child of God, there's blessings that come. Because of your position of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, there are blessings that come to you. There are blessings that come because of your position. But there are also blessings that are of acquisition. Because you have, I will do this. They are acquired blessings. I put this in your outline just before that. This blessing does not come until there's three things that are involved in this blessing of acquisition. Three things that are involved. You know all three of them. This is not going to be anything new to you. But the first is vision and faith. The first is vision and faith. The second is action and belief. Belief always puts faith into action. Vision in faith. Action in belief. Here's the third one. Victory over the enemy. You need all those three things in order to get the acquisition blessing. Vision in faith. 
action in belief and victory over the enemy. Now then, take a look at this. Let's take a look at Abraham. Lot's taken captive. He hears about Lot being taken captive. Five kings came down with their armies. He has a vision of faith. I'm going to take my 300 plus servants and we're going to go get them. That's the vision. That's built because of faith in God. Then he's got some action. Action is based on belief. I believe that that faith I have is going to work. And so he forms an action plan. He says, I am going after Lot. And so he goes after Lot. There's an action that is there. And then he obtains the victory. There's a victory over the enemy. On the way back from the victory over the enemy is when he gets blessed by Melchizedek. Now look at what God was trying to do with him. The first part, vision. Look at the stars in the sky. Look at the sand. What's he trying to do? Get Abraham to have a vision. To get his eyes off of the fact I don't have any kids. And get his eyes on the vision of what God has. That's the first one. Here's the action. Speak the blessing. Speak the, um, see the blessing and speak the blessing. What was Abraham doing every time God came up? How am I blessed when I don't have a kid? That's not being blessed. What can you give me when I have no, no heir of my own? And the heir of my, is not even born in my house. That's what he was speaking. That's what he was seeing. This isn't going to help. You see, he, he, he didn't have the vision. Because he didn't have the vision, he didn't have the action. Because he didn't have the action, he didn't have the victory. Without the victory... There was no blessing. Because the blessing that God wanted to give Abraham in this particular area was a blessing of acquisition. It was a blessing that is to be acquired. He is not gaining it because of his position. It is coming because of the victory. That what has to happen is that faith child needs to be born. And so he would come on down and you try and get to the first part. Vision. Vision. Let's get his faith stirred up with Vision. Abraham, look up at the stars. Can you count them? You're not going to be able to count your descendants either. That's how many you're going to have. This is what it's going to look like. He's trying to build that vision. Because he couldn't build the vision, we weren't seeing the action. We've got to first off have that vision that comes from faith. And then we're going to have the action that's born of belief. And then we're going to acquire the victory. And when we acquire the victory, now comes the blessing. That's the blessing of acquisition. And it doesn't sound like much. It sounds like a very generic type of a blessing. But that blessing came down upon him because of the victory he had. We all want the blessing that talks about the kids, the money, prosperity. All that sort of stuff like, like Abraham had. But this was one of the most powerful things that was put on him. It was so important to God that God took the best guy he had, the best one he could pull out of the earth, and he says, Melchizedek, I need you. I need you to do this. Now imagine what would happen if Melchizedek said no. Who is Jesus 
the high priest in the order of. If Melchizedek says no, how do we know about Melchizedek? And how can Jesus carry on his high priesthood? If Melchizedek said no. If Melchizedek said that's below me, I'm a king. People come to kings. Kings don't go to them. He didn't do it. He says, no, we're going to go out there. Because the only verses of Scripture we have on Melchizedek come from here in Genesis. Otherwise, we don't know this guy exists. And yet, he was greater than Abraham. Greater than Abraham. There are blessings of acquisition. We all want the blessings that come from position. But the blessings that come from acquisition are greater than even the ones that come from position. And they're the ones we ought to be desired after. It may not sound like much, but you see, Abraham was able to go from there and says, I have the blessing of God on my life. It has been declared to me by the high priest of God. When we have these things of acquisition and the high priest of God, Jesus Christ, speaks a blessing over us, oof, that's going to be something. That will be intense. Are you content with blessings of position? Or do you want something more? Do you want blessings of acquisition? Are you going to let the betrayal, the conversations about you and what you're doing, you're going to let the dishonor, the discredit that people try and do, are you going to let all that affect you? Or are you going to do what God said because God said it? God, I am your priest. I am here to do your bidding. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. I don't get lost in my position. I don't get lost in the fact that I shouldn't be doing that. If you say go out and meet Abraham, I'm going out to meet Abraham. If you say declare a blessing on him, I'm going to declare a blessing on him. I don't even know if Melchizedek knew all that the writer of Hebrews was, was, was saying. That he was so much greater than Abraham because of all these things but he did them and he probably did them because he was great great people don't let little things stand in their way you look at the Pauls you look at the Jesus people in those kind of places they didn't let things stop them they didn't let people's opinions and what people were saying stop them they kept pressing on because there are blessings of acquisition but there are a whole lot of pitfalls in the way. People are going to try and get you to go in a, in a wrong direction. Don't listen. Don't fall for it. You are a priest and a king. Don't you be concerned with how you're being treated. You be concerned with what has God given me to do. And I'm going to do it with everything in me. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be priests in service for you. Call us to be kings and priests. We look forward to serving you. We won't let the things that people do get us down any more than we see the examples you gave us in the Word with Paul, with Jesus, with Timothy, with Titus, with Barnabas, with Peter, with John, with James. Oh, so many are in the Word and they face so many things. They stayed on. They stayed true. 
And Father, we don't want anyone on this earth to be able to stop us from being the priest that you've called us to be. We won't let the discouragements that come stop us. For there are blessings of position and there are blessings of acquisition. And you desire that we acquire those things. The Melchizedek's aren't sent until the battle was won. We want the blessing before we go into battle. But you have a blessing that is placed on those who are victorious in battle. And even in the blessings that Melchizedek uttered, as he says, the Lord delivered them into your hand. It didn't stop any of the blessing because Abraham was the one who showed up. He's the one who went into battle. He's the one who believed that you would deliver the enemy. And he's the one who collected the spoil. You have spoil out there for us. You have blessings awaiting us. We need to build that faith that has vision. We need that action that comes from belief and the victory that we end up with. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Any comments? Anything I missed in your outline? There's one thing in there I was looking at and I think, oh, how did I word that? Yeah, that's the one that was, that I was, oh, I said, well, I know I changed that wording somehow and messed it all up. And there's, even, let's see. They, I'm going to have to go back and figure out what I actually had on, on this thing to go. But the idea here is, uh, there's one main thing that can hinder us from our role as priest is not being treated as king. That's the main thing. We can look at it, I should be treated better because I'm king or I'm a, I'm a priest. I should be treated better. But even though it is better, our high priest, Jesus Christ, and that's the high priest we're talking about. We're not talking about Melchizedek here. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, he was talked about. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was discredited. He was dishonored. But he stayed on with his ministry as priest and as king. And he did not let any of that discourage him. So that was the idea there. But I don't know what in the world I was doing that wording. I was, I was trying to look at it and says, I'm not reading that right. And I wasn't going to take time to, <laughs> in the middle to try and figure out what I had done there. But thanks for asking on that one. I forgot. Corey has a question. I would think that any... Uh, say that again, I want to repeat it because... In regards to the victory... Does it have to be external? Or can it be internal? There are going to be a lot of internal victories and external victories really don't come until you have some internal victories. And, you, and, and Abraham needed that. There was an internal victory he had to have because he kept falling back in that area of doubt, in that area of unbelief, in that area of not trusting that God was going to come through. And when he had that internal victory, we saw the external victory. So I think any external victory is a result of one or more internal victories. 
Because if we don't have that victory in ourselves, where I'm walking in love, where I'm not falling into anger, where I'm not uh, stepping off in these, these other areas, doubt, unbelief, unforgiveness, whatever it might be that we, we can find. Until we uh, had the victory over that, we don't have the external victories. What's interesting with Abraham is how easy it was for him to believe and act in regards to 316 going out to battle against five kings. That was a piece of cake for him. But believing that his wife could have a baby, that's tough. He had a lot more internal victories to get. So yeah, absolutely. Good, great question. And uh, if he put, let me know if I, if I answered that completely or if there's a follow-up question on that. Appreciate the feedback from our Facebook people. Mm-hmm.